0: Truth Jihad Radio is 100% crowdfunded and therefore fearless and independent. Please help us stay that way. You can subscribe at my Substack, that's kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you could send a one time PayPal donation to Truth Jihad at gmail.com. Welcome to the special live broadcast of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting live from Saidiya, Morocco. If you want to help me keep broadcasting live every weekend, please you support my Substack. You can go to kevinbarrett.substack.com. And you can also, of course, kick in to the False Flag Weekly News Fundraisers. All right, that's enough uh, public service announcements. Let's get into tonight's show. I've got two great U.S. military whistleblowers coming up on the show tonight. In the second hour, Scott Bennett, former U.S. Army officer and uh, PSYOP specialist, among other things, will be on to talk about his trip to Russia and to the Donbass region where he made some really interesting broadcasts and was a little concerned about the bad guys trying to grab him before he came back to America or maybe on the way. But last I heard, it looks like he managed to make it through customs, immigration, and whatever other checkpoints they've managed to put up. And he will continue to exercise what's left of his First Amendment rights from his home in California in the second hour of today's show. Scott Bennett is a U.S. Army Special Operations Officer, retired 11th Psychological Operations Battalion. So he should have something interesting to say about that trip to Russia. What's Russia really like? What's the Donbass really like? Moving into the first hour. Dr. Ellen Sobroski, former head of strategic studies at the U.S. Army War College, made headlines in the alternative media, such as they are, well, on places like Infowars, by coming on my radio show in 2010 and saying that 9-11 was a Mossad operation, period. And since then, he's continued to tell the really hard truths, the red pill truths, grabbing the third rail on a number of Issues And he's back to do that tonight, talking about the extermination of Gaza. What's that all about? Where's it going? What's the strategic equation really like? We were originally told back in early October that Israel couldn't possibly lose. And now it's been two and a half months. They've done a real good job of blowing up houses, apartment blocks, hospitals, schools, things like that, killing lots and lots of women and children. But they've had very little military success against Hamas and the other resistance groups. So let's talk to a master strategist and find out where where he thinks that's going. I think we have him on the line right now, Doctor Alan Sobrowski. Is that you? Well, oh, I see his icon, <laughs> Doctor Alan Sobrowski. Is that your icon? Hello, Alan. Come in, Alan. Well, I see his icon. But I, uh, I don't hear his voice. I know he, he, I think he, was, he was trying to call me. I think he, here, let me, let me go to his Skype account and tell him, uh, Alan, you need to uh, uh, get on the group call, on the group call from Mr. Rowe and Revolution Radio. And uh, hopefully, I think he, he might have screwed it up by trying to call my Skype handle. Erroneously. And Te- he le- is technically on the call. His- he's on the call, so we just yeah. can't hear him. Oh, well, let me uh, – he doesn't figure out how to get his voice heard here pretty quick. I guess I could supply supply his uh, phone number. I do have a backup phone for Alan Sobrowski, and I will uh, pop that into the chat window here. And uh, hopefully – We'll find a way to get him up one way or another. It doesn't, it doesn't
1: appear that he's got on hold or muted or anything, but let me try double ringing him from the server.
0: Oh, okay, we're going to try calling Alan Sobrowski another way. We do have a long history of weird technical difficulties showing up when Alan Sobrowski comes on various broadcasts. Uh, that's one aspect of him being the most censored man in America. That was the headline of a story I wrote about him a while back. And if you go to that story now at the UNS reveal, you'll see that all of the videos that I posted then just a couple of years ago have all been taken down and the account holders have all been nuked and deplatformed, proving the point that he is indeed the most censored man in America. You can't even put up his videos before they get nuked, but, uh, We'll try to find a way to bring him on here uh, one way or another. Sometimes you have to go to the, the backup channel. Yeah, so Well, sometimes Skype gets weird, so
1: what I've done is I've removed him from the call, and now we're re-adding him. Hopefully it'll re-ring his side, and he'll be able to pick up.
0: Okay, here we go. Ring number two, uh, our second attempt to get Dr. Alan Sabrowski on the line. Seems like Skype has gotten a little squirrely. Since Bill Gates took it over. First, yeah, Gates I've
1: seen there. this issue before. It, I don't know what the internals are going on, but it shows him technically on the call, but then the server sort of doesn't see him. I, I don't I don't know why that's doing it that way, but we'll
0: see if we can get him back on. Okay. okay. Can you hear me now? He's on now. Hey, we got you, Alan. That's you. Welcome. Okay. Hey, thanks, Mr. Rowe. Appreciate it. No problem. All right. Okay. Yeah, we've got a, a hardworking technical guy in the studio here uh, helping out with the show. Mr. rowe has been doing this for years, and I really appreciate all of his his help with that. Um, I wouldn't be able to do the show, or at least certainly not the same kind of show, without him. So, hey, uh, Alan, welcome! And you can turn off your video camera. You are you're lo- you're looking uh, in fine fettle, but it's way on the radio audience. Here. Like that old song, "Video Killed the Radio Star." Gotcha. Okay, okay, we're back on the radio, no video. Hey, welcome, Alan. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, are you there? Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, good enough. Uh, two quick things. I never knew you were a cat person. Say hello to your friend. Okay, uh, Muse and, the cat is downstairs and, right
0: now. And please, second.
1: please give my regards to Scott when when he's on the show.
0: Okay, will do. Yeah, you you and Scott are you know two of my favorite uh ex military people right i mean i, I uh've known various people who've served in the military over the years and a lot more since I got into nine eleven truth and uh, and you you guys are, are stand up guys you know if we had more guys in the military like you i don't think we would have reached this point
1: i think we we think we had a lot more like us uh fifty or sixty years ago, but that's a long time and this uh this process of uh, Making the military woke has also been in, in progress a very long time. Not not pleasant.
0: Yeah. How do they think they're going to get those folks who are kind of the, the bread and butter of the U.S. military down through the years has been, you know, kind of heartland people and southerners, uh, people who are culturally conservative. And that, you know, that's that's the audience of the recruiting commercials. And now they're feeding well, them recruiting commercials. Of you know guys in women's dresses mincing around talking about how uh, the army has helped them be everything they can be, and, and I, I just don't see that yeah. as working. What do you, well, think? you know? But, but you know this this is really important because
1: um, the senior officers, you know, the three and four stars at the top of the ladder, uh, have long ago made the choice that they were going to adapt to what they saw as the wave of the future. And I think the entire Joint Chiefs of Staff, including the Marine Corps, is now the leadership is now talking diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, no question at all about that, from, in terms of their perspective. Important to understand that that the that the people who enter the service, both officers and enlisted, have been exposed as their parents have been exposed to the same type of. left-wing indoctrination as their civilian counterparts who don't go into the military. Most officers in all of the services come from ROTC or from similar college programs. Except for a few courses in military science, they get precisely the same thing as their civilian counterparts do. So they'll have a little more of a predisposition to, to go in the service than their they're civilian friends who didn't go in the service, but not much. So they're already on board. Um, the enlisted people, same thing. What they're conserving now, with very few exceptions, would have been considered at least liberal in the 1960s. John Kennedy was considered a liberal in the early 1960s when he was elected president. He'd be a rock-solid conservative today, without a, without a doubt. We, we could use mi-
0: conservatives like him,
1: actually. Oh, I, I agree. There certain, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he, he made some unfortunate decisions, unfortunate for his, his longevity, unfortunate decisions on Israel, and it cost him his life. But the only problem that the military has now, and it's, it's, that's only with capital letters, boldface, italics, and quotation marks, is the middle group. Uh, there's a lot of field grade officers, majors, lieutenant colonels, colonels who came up in an earlier time, and a lot of senior non-commissioned officers, uh, E7 through E9, the three highest pay grades, who are also brought up in, in an older line and are, are much hard line, much more hard line. And in fact, there's so much so that the Marine Corps about a year ago initiated a program where anyone... E-7, who was going to be promoted to E-8, Master Sergeant, Master General, or E-9, Sergeant Major, if there are other ranks, but E-8 and E-9, had to go through and pass a special course on the military culture, you know, as if after 20 years of service, they don't understand the Marine Corps culture. They do, but they don't understand the woke culture, and that's what they have to agree to if they're going to be promoted. So this process is underway for, and has been underway for a very long time.
0: And what's ironic about it is is that these woke values that are being taught arguably are really part of a larger program designed to break down ties of family, community, and indeed nation in service to a kind of internationalism. Uh, Peter Meyer's new book on the cosmopolitan empire, I'll be talking to him on a show within a couple of weeks, argues that there's this Line of in the history of ideas, from the uh, foundation of the <laughs> Illuminati uh, through Trotsky, and that these people have this vision of a one-world government with no religion, uh, no family ties, and certainly no nations. So they're trying to make the U.S. military, which is based on you know, nationalism and patriotism, into the kind of people who will basically betray their families, their communities, and, and especially their nation, to a kind of one-world cosmopolitan empire, at least if, if we accept Peter Meyer's analysis. Well, that, that would be the ultimate, the ultimate goal, but I suspect the
1: intermediate one is simply the transformation of the countries themselves. You know, as we, as we talked about earlier, and as I wrote about in uh, The Feminine Dystopia, you know, the, the, single, the single greatest goal of, of the feminist movement was to break the fam, nuclear family, which was the building block of Western civilization. So they gave women a career path at the price of their families. And that's pretty much what's happened. The, the divorce rate has escalated tremendously, and we could see the consequences of a family breakdown. But that, that's essentially, you had to break the family unit as a building block of, of the civilization and as of the country before you could really break the country. And they've done so very well. Right. And
0: yeah, I, I, I think uh, that that theory that this is, you know, Adam Weishaupt, the uh, Illuminist who had this vision of uh, a world with basically everybody is everybody's brother and sister. They're no longer families, no longer nations, no longer religions, that then inspired a certain wave of you know, left wing and ultimately Trotskyite internationalism down through the years and inspired people like HG Wells and other utopian socialists and other kinds of globalists, internationalists, that that's all required a really vicious war on the very kinds of institutions that make us human and on our human nature. And I I really can, you know, I, I can sense that from after leaving the United States, where this woke culture is so powerful, coming here to Morocco where it isn't. I mean, it's nobody here takes that seriously at all. Uh, you, you can really see it more clearly when you step outside of it.
1: Mm. I've been told that by several other people, that, uh, unless you get into some of the Western European countries, but and it's not only the United States military, you know, the, uh, the thing that's, that strikes me so forcefully, you know, having been to both both Britain and Scotland, well, both the United Kingdom and Ireland in, in the past, is how much they have already changed under the same type of a of an open borders forced migration policy in, in most of the countries there that we're just beginning to experience in the last few years over here. You know, uh, Britain has a has a Hindu prime minister, a Muslim as apologies, but a Muslim as the mayor of London. Uh, well,
0: but yeah, they. they Just have, kidding. They, actually, that, he's not my kind of Muslim.
1: Yeah, I I, I understand that. Understand that very much. Uh, a Muslim, I think, a Pakistani, as first minister of Scotland, whose opening address to the the Scottish Parliament was to condemn the the persistence of whites in the government up there in Scotland. Uh, Ireland has a homosexual Hindu as its prime minister, and when in Algerian nationals stabbed but didn't kill three children and two women in a schoolyard a couple of weeks ago and some of the young irish rioted the prime minister sent the army against them the irish army against them and the army obeyed this is from catholic ireland where both the catholic church and the ira were, were mum said nothing about it so it's this this is very widespread and i uh in that uh in one of the one of the two articles I'm finally working on now that my shoulder is healed enough that I'm able to able to write, which I wasn't able to do for about four months, except you know, tap one finger out little posts or something like that. Uh, I liken Western civilization, you know, to the tit- Titanic after it struck the iceberg. It's down by the head. It's not yet f- sunk, but it's going. I mean, it's going, and I can't imagine that it can be saved in anything approaching its current structure and form. The the question for me, and it's a question I, I try and address in the second article, um, is how much can be saved and how do we go about doing it? Now, I don't know if in Morocco you are interested in saving Western civilization, uh, <laughs> Well, Well, particularly, particularly given the exchange of messages we have this morning, how many cousins do you have in Morocco, by the way?
0: Well, cousins (laughs) are defined a little differently in Morocco. You have the the Ibn Am and the Bint Am, your brother's daughters versus the Ibn Hal and the Bint Hal, your mother's sons and daughters and so on and so forth. So there's a slightly different kinship system. And it's interesting, by the way, Ellen, that anthropologists, whenever they go to look at some new culture, the very first thing they do is they write down all those kinship terms. It's the first thing you need to understand a culture, because all human cultures are built on kinship affiliation, that extended family, and then that, then there's the fictitious extended family of tribe or nation. That's, that's human nature right there. But in any case, yeah, I mean, as I'm here in Morocco in part because I kind of gave up on Western civilization yeah, yeah. such as it is. You know, as Gandhi said, it would be a good idea. Um, but if it got saved, you know, if, if the United States could get back to its Enlightenment roots and express the good side of those Enlightenment roots, I would be cheering for it. <laughs> I would even help well, it get it. back there if I could. I think it's possible
1: for it to do so, but not with all of the states that it currently has. I think that basically the West Coast states, the Pacific Coast states, New England, New York, New Jersey are hopeless, and we you can't you can't build a or rebuild a stable society an, a, a sane society when you have so many populous states associated with it that are effectively collectively insane i don't think there's any, there's any other term to call it they are collectively insane uh you know they're not the uh the drooling dribbling hand dragging hands on the on the floor insane you know they look and act most of the time normal unless they're having a demonstration a riot or uh African-Americans are. I, you know,
0: I mean, some of their demonstrations are actually signs of sanity, such as the demonstrations to stop the genocide in Gaza. And I'm surprised that those are actually mostly left wing demonstrations. Well, oh, no, the right I'm, wing I'm in America is insane. The right wing in America believes that uh, that Hamas is is raping and beheading babies and then putting them in ovens and stuff. I mean, don't you think those left wing demonstrations for Gaza are actually signs that in certain respects, the left in America is saner than the right?
1: Well, I don't think I don't think either side is really saying. I think the uh, the the Zionist influence is predominant on both of them. And in fact, you may have you may have heard. In fact, I'm sure you've heard of uh, an intercepted conversation uh, with Jonathan Greenblatt, of the head of ADL, saying that we've got a real problem here. It's a generational problem. Well, it's not so much you know that that the the younger generation. What is it now? Generation Z. That Generation Z is really our problem, that, and that's because they're the ones who are doing the demonstrating, whether they're left, right, or independent, or anything else. And someone mentioned to me this morning, this is not my idea, someone mentioned to me this morning something that was really true. When when I first got got galvanized on the whole Aza-Israel issue was during Operation Cash Lead in 2008-2009. And specifically by the Israelis opening that that operation uh, with an attack on a graduating class of Palestinian police cadets, Did, you know, hit them out of the sky, F-15s and F-16s, killed and wounded hundreds of cadets and their families and all the rest of that, and that got my attention. So I started looking at that, and there was almost nothing here about it, almost no response to it. And this this friend, this internet friend, this morning said that the reason was not only the growth of the internet, but the growth of cellular technology. That now cell phones and tablets are so pervasive and so light that people can here can actually see what is happening on in Gaza, what's taking place. They, you know, no matter who owns the mainstream media, no matter who owns the networks and the newspapers, no matter how much propaganda is put out, no matter how much APAC pulls the strings of the Democrats and Republicans alike to hold incessant hearings on the growth of anti-Semitism to deflect attention from this, this generation, the Z, Generation Z, which is clearly the most tech savvy of the generations. They grew up almost from the cradle with cell phones or tablets. They see it. And they're responding to what they see. And what they see is not what they're being told. And they get it. Now, on everything else, you know, on the whole woke ideology, they're still on board with that. Uh, I was I was astonished to see, I mean, half a dozen polls, most of them from institutions I respect and know. I mean, really good ones that, that showed in particular roughly 80 percent of college women, single college women, uh, are sign, sign on to the Democrat agenda and to the woke ideology. And as is always the case, they bring a lot of their boyfriends with them. Uh, that's deadly. That is absolutely deadly, particularly since women are now about 60, 65 percent of college students and roughly half or more than half of all faculties. Look at the female presidents of the Ivy League schools who've been testifying before the House. Look at the number of women in it from Harvard, from Penn. They're running the place. And if their younger versions of them are the ones who are so left wing, the future is extremely dim for the rest of us. That's why I say if we're going to survive, if something of America, of something of Western civilization is going to survive, we have to calve off the coasts in New England, sort of like an iceberg calves off fragments of itself and try and save something of the heartland. That can be done. Now, that can be done. There, there'd still be some, some nasty fighting and some nasty internecine warfare. Don't, don't think there wouldn't be. But without, without the coasts, we can still survive. And the Biden administration knows that. And that's why they've been inserting illegals, seeding illegals, if you wish, into that heartland here in central Mississippi. And when I was in Pennsylvania, in the western part of Pennsylvania, north of Pittsburgh, which is very conservative. We have Africans and Central Americans in both places. Nice cars, nice clothes. Uh. Baskets in the in the Walmart filled with goods, paying in cash for them. They don't seem to have a shortage of cash. I could understand some of the Spanish. Some of it I couldn't. These are probably people from Guatemala. The Mayan ancestry was very distinct and different from, say, the Mexican ancestry. Um, And I overheard one woman saying to the man with her husband, brother, boyfriend, I have no idea. uh, It's even better than we were promised. You know, I mean, these people are not going to peacefully go back to the places they came from, you know, and the other states in the heartland are the same way. They're all getting it. And if Mississippi and Michigan and Missouri are all going to survive, we not only have to stop the migrants coming in, we have to deport the ones who are here, and that's going to be bloody.
0: Well, this sounds a little bit like the occupied Palestine situation, mm-hmm. if you tried to turn the United States of America into two countries, a red heartland and blue coastlands, you might end up with the blue parts being kind of Bantustans, not connected to each other, sort of like the West Bank and Gaza are not connected to each other. And then you would also have a lot of ethnic cleansing as the blues had to leave the red areas to go to the blue areas and vice versa. And then yeah the immigrants would have to leave the red areas and either go to the blue areas or go home or wherever they would go. It sounds like a, a big mess to me. That it's actually not like sounds, it's
1: not that that's not that's not the uh that's not I think the uh the proper precedent. The proper precedent is the partition of India in forty seven forty eight well forty seven no, forty nine. Yeah that, that was that was bloody. That was that like, was gruesome. That was gruesome. You know millions? between in, aside from Salon, Sri Lanka, you know, from India to what was then, what was at first West Pakistan and East Pakistan, now Pakistan and Bangladesh, that was gory. The Indians acknowledged at least 7 to 10 million dead, at least 7 to 10 million dead. And an Indian colonel who was at the uh, School for Advanced International Studies, Johns Hopkins in Washington, uh, one of my students mentioned in the in the class, to the class when we were talking about some, some aspect of uh, Change states that it was probably double that. It's probably double that that they'll they'll never really know what happened in the heartland. But that's essentially what you're talking about. However, there is some good news on something like that. That if those calved out coastlines continue their policies, which they're going to have to at first. I mean that that's where they've they managed to persuade uh, enough of their people and most of their political leaders that that's the that's the shape of the future uh they'll collapse within a generation they'll completely collapse within a generation it's not sustainable that policy is a woke policy is not sustainable I, They can't do it and without the resources from the heartland which is after the the, the grain that that's the food prop belt uh they're not going to survive and so i expect that one of the one of the things that will happen uh in a generation or so, is that incrementally and completely, ultimately, those calved off parts will be reunited with the heartland.
0: Well, it sounds like a a pretty um, painful process. I mean, wouldn't it be better to figure out some way to, I don't know, persuade the crazies? uh to relinquish their craziness.
1: They're not going to. They're not going to be. they they, they the, look, consider this. The teach the two major teachers' unions, the National Education Association, which is led by a neo-Marxist black woman, and the American Federation of Teachers, which is led by a neo-Marxist Jewish woman, run about between them between seventeen thousand and eighteen thousand school districts throughout the United States, every single state has them. The majority of their school districts are run by them. They are both pushing a woke agenda completely. They are both doing it, and they're not going to stop.
0: Not yeah, voluntarily funny, stop.
1: They're not going to. They're not going to stop voluntarily. So either yeah. you, either you, look 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 at it like this, Kevin. You are a reasonably sane person for a young guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, young well, guy uh, hitting retirement hey, age. Hey, comp- yeah, compared to me, compared to me at eighty-two, you are a relatively sane person for a young guy. I mean, just as young people go. Um, if you would you would you share if you had a had a had a house, you know, a duplex, would you want to live with some people next door to you
0: who are clinically insane? Probably not, uh, and I, I've that's, been lucky so what, far that hasn't happened. But that's what you would have. That's what you
1: would have to do because the, the woke world is clinically insane. It really is. It really is. I mean, gender dysphoria alone. I mean, if you can look down at your genitals and you think you see something that what is physically there, that's clinically insane. If you're willing to destroy your own society and your own culture. That's a form of suicide. That is clinically insane. If you have a monomania, a focus on race, 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 this is the litmus test for everything. If you focus a monomania is a form of clinical insanity. You've got them you've got them triply insane. That's not going to go yeah. away. Now it may have been taught insanity, you know, rather than than a mental disability. And I'm quite sure a very large number of people um, will do what the most of the women on the University of Pennsylvania swim team did when they were told that this six foot four male with male genitalia was a woman and was going to be swimming with them and sharing locker rooms with them, that if they made trouble, they would regret it and to an undergraduate student being told that by coaches and deans in their 40s and 50s is pretty intimidating and most of the people probably are going along with it rather than believing it and they're going along with it to keep jobs family such as it is career income and the rest of it but they're still doing it and that message is not going to stop being transmitted Unless we expel the people who are transmitting it, you know, we can either we can either expel them or kill them or imprison them. I don't want to have them killed. I don't want to imprison imprisoning them is expensive, and so the only choice, only sensible choice left, is to expel them. Or live or live with them and, and understand that the insanity will only become worse.
0: Well, what I did was I just expelled myself and went to a place where people are slightly saner. Uh, but that, that's escape. <laughs> I I, yeah. I I I I
1: I, but there's, I saw a video about uh, oh it must have been two months ago and I can't remember where I ran into it. It was I I pay attention and use and listen to a lot of foreign news programs, you know. So I've got a a fair amount of German, French, and Spanish. Uh, I understand it better than I speak it, uh, but I can listen to these in the background. And there was a. German news network, um, a reporter from it in Paraguay, and he is interviewing a young German family, um, man, his wife, two children. I never saw the children, uh, so I don't know if they're boys or girls or both. Uh, but they had emigrated from Germany to Paraguay because, said the German man, the young man who was there, there are many towns here that are just like Germany where there are Germans everywhere. And now that, that's not unusual in the southern cone of South America. There's been a large number of German, Irish, and Italian immigrants to Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, and Chile. Not so many Italian to, to Paraguay and Chile, but more to Uruguay and, and Argentina. But still, a lot of immigrants since the 19th century. This has been an ongoing process. So, in their case, that was they were looking at it as a refuge. But a refuge is, is refuge is fine if your own country is ruined. And Germany, of course, is completely ruined. Uh, but for the United States, given the amount of power it has, and the amount of power a united woke states would have. You can't escape it. It can get to you. It will get to you. There is no escaping that. It will get to Morocco. If, yeah, if, West, well, if been Western trying. Europe, I mean, they've if Western trying. Europe and the United States goes woke, you know, your, own, your, your best hope, if you're an optimist, is that Russia is able to organize Eastern Europe as a counterweight. And your best hope is, if you're a pessimist, is that China does.
0: Well, and, and let's let's segue from there to the geopolitical implications of this u.s supported genocide in gaza that is turning a lot of the world against the u.s empire and strategically this seems to be one of these bizarre you know strategic moves that we've seen over the years where you know with 9 11 the zionists hijacked the u.s military to come and destroy the middle east and it was basically a complete fiasco from the u.s perspective But I guess it did okay for the Zionists. And then this war in Ukraine, likewise, is going badly and looks like it's going to end badly for the empire. Uh, Another waste of money and a counterproductive effort. And then supporting this genocide in Gaza is just making the U.S. uh, lose what little soft power it ever had, turning the whole Arab and Muslim worlds on the side of Russia, China, Iran. And so it, it occurs to me that the outcome of this is likely to be pretty bad for the people who are trying to keep the U S unipolar empire going. Uh, what, what's your take on where the, the Gaza war is headed and the implications for geopolitics? Um, I
1: think, well, first of all, I don't think it's genocide. I mean, it's, it's, it's a massacre and it's slaughter of unarmed people, but, uh, even given the casualties, was, I, I had gotten in a, in a discussion with Scott Bennett about this uh, on the air, I guess, about a month ago. And he said, you know, it, it's not it's it's worse than saying I, I saw two people and I genocided them both. We we abuse the term. We mean mass murder. And it is mass murder. It is slaughter. There's no question
0: at all about that. But no, no, wait, no. Wait. The, the international law definition of gen, genocide is an attempt to destroy a people through making oh, it, their it, conditions it, unlivable I don't, I don't,
1: I don't, think the, a, I, don't think, I don't think the Israelis intend to destroy it at all in the sense of killing them. And one of the reasons that... Yeah, but that that, the, that's uh, not the definition oh, no, of genocide. No. One, one, of the reasons, one of the reasons the operation is taking so long is that the Israelis have an opportunity at long last to ethnically cleanse what they consider to be the territory of Eretz Israel, of Palestinians specifically, and probably the Arab citizens of Israel itself.
0: If that isn't genocide, I mean, you know, according to Francis Boyle, what's been going on for 75 years in occupied Palestine qualifies as genocide. Every single day, acts of genocide are committed. Genocide does not mean necessarily killing the victim population. It means destroying their culture and their connection to their communities and making their lives impossible, having them. Uh, may, convincing them to leave by harassing them is genocide. And that now, well, and that, the majority of Gaza well, is, is homeless. They've had their homes blown up. The majority of the people, know, that's know, genocide. Know, There's know, never been that, genocide that, in human history. And,
1: and you might you might remember or not that on a previous show, um, we were talking about that. And I said, you know, I, I considered that the, the Israeli goal, and I we didn't know about the operation of Gaza because this was like a year before that, Uh, but that the Israeli goal is on some pretext to push the population of Gaza into the Sinai and what happens to them no longer is their business and and move settlers into Gaza City, into, into all of the Gaza Strip. Push the Palestinians in the West Bank and East Jerusalem across the Jordan whether Jordan likes it or not, where would it turn, the United States? Really? And then they can get rid of the walls and take occupy all of it. And I suspect at the same time, they will deport the Arab citizens of Israel, those people, those Arabs holding Israeli passports. And I don't know what they're going to do with that, whether they'll push them into Lebanon, across the Jordan, into Syria, I have no idea. But they'll end up, they'll end up Arab free, and I think that's their goal. That is absolutely their goal. And whether that constitutes genocide or not depends on the definition of genocide. But it did occur to me as you were talking and talking about Francis Boyle's definition of it and what was happening. Uh, by that definition, the Democrats are guilty of genocide against America.
0: And what do you think about those who argue that? Uh, the uh, Jewish power configuration, let's say, is responsible for both genocides. That is, the hardcore Zionists that dominate the news media have made incitement to genocide to convince the Americans to go along with this murder of more than ten thousand Palestinian children so far since October eighth. Uh, that, you know, that 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 um, incitement by the so-called liberals who dominate the American media. Uh, is part and parcel of these same American liberal, Jewish liberals that dominate American media, also running interference for the destruction of America by opening up the borders. And Tucker, or rather, uh, Elon Musk was just given—well, he's, he's now being boycotted uh, by a thousand, America's thousand biggest corporations are boycotting X because of Elon Musk supposedly making this anti-Semitic comment about the Jewish Great Replacement theory. Uh,
1: Of of course, of course, they're responsible for it. I mean, you you have to be blind or uh, or uh, blackmailed and bribed by the Zionists not to do that. You know, you have the the Jewish run ADL defining anything that that doesn't conform to their view of the world as anti-Semitic. And you have the Jewish dominated well, the Jewish APAC, American Israel Public Affairs Committee, owning the Congress. And so you have an incessant number of hearings on anti-Semitism in both houses of the Congress. You know, the, the uh, puppets who have been bought and paid for are, are doing their work, which is just uh, a hint to anyone listening who's around when we try and recreate an American republic, minus these things, that no person is in the Congress today or out of it. And that includes Tulsa Gabbard, who made her stand of Israel speech, which I guess was intended to uh, reignite her political career, uh, and that includes most of the go- Republican governors, ought to be allowed to stay in office. going to have to start fresh.
0: How about Thomas Massey for president? I would take us for president and vice president.
1: Why do <laughs> we run it? Why, why do we run on a joint ticket?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, we could, we could try that, um, but it's interesting that there is one sitting member of the House of Representatives, who's standing up and and saying that the House, you know, should be putting American interests first, not Israeli interests first, voting against this bill that equates anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism, and generally acting like uh, a voice of sanity. And so there, there's basically one guy in the whole house that's doing that. So I just thought it was worth uh, mentioning his name.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, there are, there are probably half a dozen people in, in both houses of the Congress, both parties uh, who are still relatively sane. But on, on the, when it comes to votes that Israel wants, like that one, Defining anti-Zionism as anti-Semitism, um, they don't vote for it, but they're absent. They don't even abstain. They don't show up to, to call, say "I abstain." They just don't do it. So I mean, that's for their political careers and perhaps their lives. You know, they, they have enough. There's there's enough instances of very difficult things happening to people who cross the lobby that. Uh, that I, I can understand a person, particularly a person who has a family, not wanting to replicate it. But that's a real one. But on a separate subject and something that you mentioned to me in, when we were setting this up, you know, was about the, the whole Gaza thing as is, is a false flag operation. And there was something that I wanted to share. And I I, felt, I don't entirely agree with it, but it's a form of a false flag. And I just wanted to share some something with you and I, that I mentioned uh, about a month ago to someone else. Back in the 1980s, uh, while I was at the Army War College, uh, I also had, with the permission of the government and the Army War College, uh, an adjunct appointment at Georgetown University and was teaching in both government department and the National Security Studies program. And I was coming in one evening and I think it was in 86, 87, something like that. You know, I, I don't have quite the recall that I did when I was a, when I was a young man in the early sixties. Uh, in my early sixties, just just to reassure yourself, <laughs> you weren't uh, in your sixties in the sixties.
0: That's uh, you're yeah, not that well.
1: When I but I, I walked into the government department in the evening after my class, and I stopped dead because I thought Paul Newman was there. I mean, a man was sitting there, you know, leaning back and writing some papers and it looked exactly like Paul Newman. Exactly. And I thought, what in the name of everything would Paul Newman be doing here? And, and he looked up and smiled and said, I know. And we went, for, went back forward and introduced ourselves. And he was a visiting professor from Israel, uh, the government department at that time. Every year would bring a professor in from some foreign country. And the year before it had been someone from uh, I no longer remember, some, some country in Asia. Uh but he was the end of this year, it was from Israel. And uh, we introduced each other and he said, Oh yes. And he said, I've heard your name. I didn't know where. Uh, because I wasn't involved in any of the things that uh you're involved in now or that we're both involved in now i don't even think anyone was involved in that no internet uh and we talked for a few minutes and, uh went out together and had a drink together and continued our talking and then for about a half an hour and then went our respective ways he was um full-time professor at an israeli university he was a colonel in the idf in the reserves that's most of the israeli military is in the reserves it's not you know, it was like Swiss, a little bit left, halfway between the Swiss and us. But most of the troops that they have are reservists, but they different type of reservists than ours. And one of the comments that he made, we were talking about different things. And he said, you know, if he said, this is, remember, the late 1980s. We have infiltrated every Arab government and every Arab organization, every single one, using Sephardic Jews who come from every country in the middle east and north africa who grew up in those countries who speak arabic with the local accent who are physically semitic and therefore can pass very clearly as whatever the country they're supposed to be from that was in the 1980s i don't and i don't believe that their presence has diminished over 35 years So, what I I am personally convinced of is that when Hamas was planning this attack, unless the military commander just woke up one morning and said, let's do it, which of course isn't going to happen, not, not the way the operation deployed, that they knew it.
0: They knew it was coming. Well, people- it was on, it was on the shelf for years, apparently. And Israel, according to this new article by uh, Ronan Bergman in The New York Times, Israel got a hold of the complete plan about a year ago. And yeah, supposedly sure that. Yeah, they supposedly said, oh, it's just aspirational. It's not going to happen anytime I, soon. I,
1: I, I don't think I don't think it would do that. I don't think I don't think any sensible, no sensible military in this world does it. We had con- we have contingency plans to fight almost everyone at every time, and most militaries do that. Whoever's near them, at least. And no one, no military with any sense, and whatever we happen to think about the Israelis when it comes to military matters, this is a no-nonsense operation. I don't think that they anticipated the extent of the damage they would take on that first day. just as I don't think the Roosevelt administration, principally Harry, Harry Hopkins, probably he probably knew what was happening, that the Japanese were coming if, if Roosevelt didn't, that they anticipated just how costly the Japanese strike would be at Pearl Harbor. They expected there would be losses, but nothing like the, the extent that actually happened. And I think the Israelis were the same way. They expected the operation, they knew about the operation. They had to know when the, when the go signal was being given, but they didn't expect it to be as effective as it was right up front. But from their point of view, um, it actually makes their task of ethnic cleansing easier.
0: Because but that doesn't can, they, raise problems, too, for them.
1: Well, it, it, it doesn't raise problems for them. I mean, 1,400 dead on the first day that that's it's it's bad for them and it's certainly more than they've ever taken fighting the palestinians before a lot more than they've ever taken fighting the palestinians before but it does make it easier for them to actually conduct their operation uh let me i'm going to try and read something to you um give me just a second please so this isn't video, so I don't have to worry about getting off camera. It was posted a day or so ago by a woman who is an advisor to Netanyahu's wife. Okay, and she posted it very publicly, and obviously didn't worry about it being being seen. It hasn't been taken down as of at least an hour ago. Or, of course, it being that. We keep seeing to terminate Gaza, terminate Gaza, and I think it's not enough. Her name is Sipi, T-Z-I-P-I, Navon, N-A-V-O-N. I can't pronounce it well. It's not enough. It will not extinguish the power of anger and the pain that you cannot find a solution for. Every time when I... I'm exposed to a video or photo that illustrates the terrible horror that happened in our regions. I imagine how the idea catches all the terrorists and residents from Gaza who participated in the massacre, centers them in one place and live so that the whole nation of Israel can see, takes one by one, corrupts them with pork fat and starts with torture. First removing the nails, this is what she's saying. The Israelis are doing and should do to the Palestinians. First, removing the nails from the hands and feet, then removing pieces of skin from different areas of the body, slowly, slowly and carefully, not to cause the death of the cartilage. That's very strange. She obviously doesn't have her English down properly. He has to suffer and suffer for a long time. And it goes on that way.
0: Yeah, these people have he, really weird sadomasochistic imaginations. They invented all of this nonsense about Hamas beheading and baking babies and raping women. Oh and all yeah, yeah. No,
1: it's it's the same sort of crap that came up in uh, in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, where you know you had the someone who was supposedly in Kuwait actually was the daughter of the Israeli of the Kuwaiti ambassador. Yeah, it's always made it? The, yeah. yeah, talking about Iraqi soldiers taking babies from incubators and throwing them on the floor to die. Right, you
0: know, but in, but in this course, ca- in this case, Alan, though, I mean that was like one PR incident. The Hill and Knowlton uh, PR firm yep, cooked yep. that one up. But yep. in this case, what we have is the entire Israeli society and the complicit news media in the West uh, broadcasting these insane sadomasochistic inventions that are obviously false, obviously inventions. And uh, basically going insane, like this woman that you just quoted, uh, how can the society that is that mentally unbalanced even survive and feed itself, much less win any wars? Oh, it's very, it's it's very easy, actually. I mean, if you're brought up on the believing
1: that that what is what is written in the Talmud is the way you should live and orchestrate your society, it's perfectly reasonable. I mean, it's, it, that, it, that it is also clinically insane uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't improve things. But, I mean, if anyone, if anyone doubts that the Talmud is, is one of the guiding posts of Israeli society, if anyone questions that the protocols of the elders of Zion might be true, or that both of them belong to an earlier, more primitive time, Things like we're seeing today and things like we're hearing and reading today make it very clear they don't belong from our primitive time.
0: They're alive. But, Alan, but everybody can see this now, and the younger generation especially sees it. And much of the world, yeah, you know, most of the world is is just sickened and appalled and disgusted and ready to do everything they can to finish off Israel. And I think a lot of people are starting to feel that uh, there's a problem with, with Judaism and Jews as such as well. All of this is going to, you know it's creating a situation where it's hard to imagine that this is going to be advantageous for uh for you know the Jewish community and Israel um, in the future
1: Well, I think that that could be true, but one of the things that's going to be countering this um, is such complete ownership of the mainstream media and the Congress. Means that th- those people who aren't Generation Z will be getting most of their information from those sources. Conservatives are having stand with Israel sessions.
0: All right, but you're saying the U.S. is falling apart anyway. So the U.S. Well, is fa- falls apart and the rest of the world, China, Russia, Iran takes over, uh, and they all hate Israel's guts. You know, what, what then? Well, I mean, they, they can hate Israel's guts. In
1: that case, you have uh, you have the Samson option, right? But which which you under, which you understand what that means? Well, that, right. But, that, but, that the you know, that the Israel that the Israelis since the 1980s, at least since the 1980s, have been seeding nuclear weapons
0: in their embassies and councils all around the world. Okay, and we're going to have to leave it there. That's a pretty somber place to leave it, but. The music is playing in the background. So it's time to go. Unfortunately, I could talk with Alan Zabrowski for hours. Well, thank you so much, Alan. It's great to have you back and your health improving. That's fantastic news. Looking forward to your next article. Thank you very much. And uh, best of luck to you and best of luck to Scott. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. That's Alan Zabrowski back in the next hour with Scott Bennett here on Truth Jihad Radio, truthjihad.com. Stick around. around.